Good morning. Welcome. We're glad that you're here. This week we are kicking off our new series. It's called Fix Your Eyes. This is not a pitch for uh, laser surgery, for laser eye surgery, or for new glasses or anything like that. This is a phrase that comes right out of one of the writings of the New Testament, um, what's called the Letter to the Hebrews. Uh, we don't know who wrote the letter of the Hebrews, but he or she was writing to a community of faith, probably not unlike ours here at Park Church. It was a bunch of men and women and children who were gathered together, doing their best to understand who God is and doing their best to follow Jesus and to figure out what that meant for them. Jesus was a new person, a new thing. I mean, this was only 40 or so years after Jesus had died and was raised from the dead. This was a new thing. So um, the writer to the letter of the Hebrews wrote about uh, like who Jesus is, because they needed to learn who Jesus was, and they needed some practical instruction, and so he wrote some practical instruction. Um, but also what they needed is they, they were in need of perseverance. They were in need of encouragement. They were in need of strength, because life for this little Hebrew community, life had become hard for them. Part of it was certainly because they were being uh, mistreated, persecuted because of their new faith, because of their new belief in Jesus, but life, life had become hard for them. And so uh, the letter to the Hebrews, um, the person who wrote it, wrote to them in order to strengthen them, in order to encourage them. And in a part of the letter, uh, the writer pictures, pictures life as something like a race to be run. And not like a 50-yard or a 100-yard dash or something like that, but something like a marathon, um, a race that maybe you don't feel prepared for, a marathon where the starting line is not the same place as the finish line, so you don't know where it's going to end up, you don't know where it's going, and it's, it's this sort of marathon um, that was uphill a long ways. It was a battle for them, and he pictures uh, faith and life as sort of like a race like that, uh, and look at what he writes. It says, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. So that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Growing weary, losing heart, needing perseverance to get through. I bet these are all feelings. These are all feelings that we could identify with. And the key, the trick to finishing this race and finishing it strong, according to Hebrews, is to fix your eyes on Jesus. And so that's what we're going to do this summer, the beginning of this summer. We're going to work together um, to learn how to fix our eyes on Jesus, looking at who Jesus is, what he means for us when we're running the race. Because life, life can often, life can feel like this. Life can feel like a race that's uphill, and you can't see where you're going, and your path changes and shifts, and sometimes we're left wondering, is this race going to be uphill forever? Where's the downhill part? Where's the part, where's the part that's easy? Where's the part that we can just coast through? I bet if you think for a moment, you can kind of picture, you could imagine the race that is marked out for you. And who among us doesn't, doesn't grow weary, doesn't, doesn't lose heart at times? I feel like recently I've been, I've been hit, I've been encountered with a, with, with a handful of people, um, 
conversations and just meeting people where life has just hit them hard, where it feels like they have, you know, they're running this race, it's uphill, they're tired, they're growing weary, they're losing heart. I, I ran into a woman about a week or two ago now who, um, who I hadn't seen in over a year. This was a woman who I got to know pretty well in my time working at the hospital. I used to work at a hospital as a chaplain, and I got to know this woman pretty well over the course of three or four months. This was about two years ago now. Um, I would see her basically every day, and we would talk a lot. Sometimes we would talk in real depth. Um, we got to know each other pretty well. I didn't, I didn't know her, unfortunately, because she worked there. I knew her because her husband was there. Her husband was there in the hospital, and he was, um, he was, he was slowly, his body was slowly being eaten away by cancer. And I got to know her over this time because she would come in every day. She would come in every day to sit with her husband, um, to sit and to cry and to talk and to, and to try to make sense of what was going on in life. Uh, I saw her at this event about a week or two ago now, and it was so good to see her. And I walked up to her, you know, I gave her a hug. I looked into her eyes and I said, how are you doing? And I had gotten to know her eyes pretty well because I saw her every day. I looked into her eyes and I said, how are you doing? And she looked back at me and said, I'm doing good. And then she uh, put her head down and sort of moved on to something else. I could see that she wasn't being honest with me. I could see what I'm doing good really meant. It meant I am weary. I am losing heart. I am growing tired. It feels like there's this race I'm running, and I don't know if I'm going to be able to finish it. Because uh, she's going through life now. She's watching her kids grow up and reach milestones. She's getting older, and her husband's supposed to be there with her. He's not there with her. How, how could she not grow weary? How could she not lose heart? How could she not um, think that she's not going to finish this race? Now, that might not be your story. It might sound too similar to some of your stories. But that might not be your story. But don't we all know what it's like, what it's like to go through things like this? To get up that hill and feel like you're just out of gas, right? Over the last few weeks, I've listened to people talk about um, the broken relationships that they're in, that they wish they could do something about to fix, but they can't or the once hopeful relationships that they've lost. And uh, the pain that's caused them, the pain that's caused their family, the new aloneness that they found. Um, I've listened to kids talk about what it's like to be bullied and not be treated right by the people in their own school. I've listened to older adults talk about what it's like to, um, to, to uh, care for aging parents and all of the challenges that that brings that are really unexpected. And the job that you put your hopes in to kind of give you life ends up maybe sucking the life out of you. Or the people who you put your hopes in just disappoint you again and again and again. Um, and God knows what you have going on in your life. I mean, God knows it. And you know it. Life can be like that sometimes. Hard, uphill, tiring, scary, chaotic. And sometimes it could feel like the chaos is going to win. Sometimes it can feel like the race, you're not going to finish it. You're going to have to drop out of that race. Sometimes it could feel like we are in the middle of a boat, in the middle of a lake, of a, of a, of a storm, and the waves are going to batter us, and they're going to sink us, and we're going to drown out there. Sometimes life 
Sometimes life feels like that. What, what do we do in times like this? What do we do in times like this? We fix our eyes on Jesus, on the one who is mighty now to reach down and save us. So that's what we're going to do this morning. We are going to fix our eyes on Jesus. I want to share with you a story from the Gospel of Matthew. Um, Matthew was one of Jesus' first followers, and he was there when this story took place, but he was there to see Jesus and all that he did. Um, and he recorded this story in order, in order to teach us how to fix our eyes on Jesus in the midst of something that's really, really hard. And it teaches us who Jesus is in a way where we need to see, because we need to be able to trust in Jesus differently. The story takes place in, like, right in the middle of his book. It's a whole the Gospel of Matthew, it's a book all about Jesus. It takes place right in the middle. Jesus is doing his thing. He's teaching. Um, he's healing people. He's raising people from the dead, casting out evil spirits and all of this. The story immediately preceding the one that we're going to look at, it's kind of the famous one. We've talked about it here in the past, where Jesus uh, takes the five loaves and the two fish. It's late in the afternoon. Everyone's hungry. And he multiplies these five loaves and two fish and feeds like the 5,000 men who are gathered in front of him and all of the women and children who were with him, uh, with those men. So that's like he fed 10, 15,000 people all out of five loaves and two, two fish. They're all tired and need to go home. He is tired. It's late in the afternoon. And so here's where, here's where our story begins for this morning. Matthew writes, immediately... He made the disciples get into the boat and go ahead to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. So it's getting late, long day of work, um, long day of teaching, all that sort of stuff. He dismisses the disciples to go to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. That's where they are. Um, and he dismisses the crowds. Matthew continues, <clears throat> And after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. Um, after all that time with the crowd, surrounded by those people, Jesus just needed some alone time. He needed some alone time with God. As someone who has like introverted tendencies and who gets overwhelmed by being amongst crowds all the time, it's kind of comforting to know that Jesus is sort of like that too. That Jesus just needs a little bit of time off to go up onto the mountain um, with God himself. So Matthew continues, but by this time, the boat that the disciples were in, battered by the waves, was far from the land, for the wind was against them. So the disciples are in this little fishing boat. Um, they're stuck out there in the middle of the big sea in this big storm, far from land. Uh, in Greek, it's actually um, many stadia, which is like an ancient term of measurement. Um, a stadion was 600 feet or so, so many stadia. This was a far way out. Scholars think this is something like two or three miles out in the middle of the Sea of Galilee. So they're not just off the shore. They're a long way out in the middle of the Sea of Galilee. And this is deep. It's dangerous waters when the storm hits. It's also by this time it's dark out. And they don't have like lights on the boat, so it's pitch black out there. And these are experienced fishermen, some of them at least. Uh, they know how to work a boat. They know how to sail. They know how to row. They should have reached the other side of the sea by now, but they can't. And they're stuck out there because the wind was against them. Have you ever been out in a boat like this where the storm is coming and the waves and it's scary and all of that? 
This would be a great time for me to tell you a dramatic story of the time where I was out in the middle of a boat, and I was courageous, and I, I don't have a story like that. Um, I don't go on boats very much. The boats I have gone on are very peaceful. I have good times on these boats. Um, most of my experience with winds and the waves comes from like perfect storm and castaway. Um, I don't remember else. Uh, honestly, in my house right now, it's Moana. That's where we get a lot of our wind and waves pictures, big, big things and whatnot. Um, but you don't, need, you don't need a scary storm story to, to like get in that boat with the disciples because Matthew means more than just a stormy sea. Um, Matthew wants us to think of this as like, this is what life is like sometimes. You're out there, you're working hard to go forward over the sea, and there's, a, there's something that's working against you. There's a wind that's hitting against you, beating up your boat, and you're struggling. You're struggling to keep moving forward. You're struggling to move on. You're getting tired out there. You're losing heart. It's dark. It's scary. I bet you can close your eyes and imagine, imagine for a moment, um, the storm of life that you've faced that felt like that. Or maybe the storm you're facing right now. Or the storm that you can look out on the water and you could see it coming at you. We don't necessarily think of the sea like this any longer, but back in Bible times, in biblical times, the sea was a horrifying place. It was, um, it was about chaos, the sea. It was deep and dark. It was untamable. It took people's lives. There was no controlling it. The sea was a place of deep anxiety, um, of dark powers, destruction, of of great threat to our lives. The sea in biblical times really represented the powers of death, the powers that are bigger than we are. And so think about for a moment, think about your sea, think about your stormy sea and imagine yourself on that boat. Jesus himself is up on the mountain still, as far as we know, praying. The disciples are two or three miles out on the boat. Um, the sea, which represents chaos and death and darkness and all of that, the sea also at this time, the sea is literally what separates them from Jesus. Think about that for a second. The sea is literally what separates them from Jesus. I wonder, does your stormy sea, does that separate you from Jesus? Or does it draw you closer? Does it take you away from Jesus? Or does it take you closer? Oftentimes, we get stuck thinking that because we're suffering through difficulties or adversity, or because we're stuck in a stormy sea like this, um, it means that God is against us, or that God is punishing us, or that like, Jesus has sent you away. It's quite the opposite. Jesus sent them out there on this boat. Jesus sent them into the storm. And what does that tell us? That tells us that even though we are facing adversity and difficulties, it doesn't mean that Jesus isn't in it. It doesn't mean that Jesus doesn't have a purpose in what you're going through. It doesn't mean that Jesus isn't uh, actually there with you in it. Because they're facing difficulties, they're facing the storm, simply because they're listening to what Jesus said to do. These are not signs that he is against you or abandon you. And in fact, as we'll see in a moment, uh, it is often in these times that Jesus comes to us. And that's what he does here. Early in the morning, he came walking toward them on the sea. 
This is crazy. This, this, this storm started early in the evening, if you remember, and now it's early in the morning. What that means, if you do the math, is that these disciples have been struggling out there in that boat for eight or nine hours in the darkness. This is not a, a journey that should take that long, and they are stuck out there. They're tired. They're losing heart. They are frightened. They're exhausted. And Jesus comes to them walking on the sea. And the imagery is rich here. Matthew is doing this on purpose. Um, he's putting this on a platter for us. And listen, though the storm and the sea is terrifying and tiring and threatening, it isn't to Jesus. He is literally above it. He is literally walking all over it. That's why it's a good idea that we put our trust in him. But this is admittedly a crazy scene if you think about it. You're out there, you're struggling, you're delirious with exhaustion, and this guy comes strolling across the water. What would you think? You would think what they think. When the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified, saying, it's a ghost. And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, and he said, take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. The disciples' fear here is interesting, right? Because notice, they're not afraid of the thing they should be afraid of. They should be afraid of the sea and a watery death. They're not afraid of that. They're afraid of something that, A, is not real. Ghosts are not real. They're, but they're afraid of something that's not real. They're afraid of something that's not accurate. It's not a ghost. It's Jesus. And see, they're afraid of the one thing, the one person who actually has the power in that moment to calm their fears and to save them. Do you see how illogical their fear is? In the absence, though, of trusting in Jesus, that is what our fear is like. Sometimes we become afraid of things that aren't even real, that aren't worth being afraid of, that aren't accurate. But the real thing here worth noticing is that sometimes Jesus comes to us to give us courage, to calm our fears, to save us, and we don't even recognize him. We don't see him. And why is that? It's because we haven't learned so well to fix our eyes on Jesus. We forget to look to him. When we do see things, we don't recognize Jesus for who he is. We lose sight of who he is. We underestimate who he is and what he can do for us. But it's in that moment that Jesus immediately says to them, take heart. It is I. Do not be afraid. Now, there's something really huge hidden in what Jesus says here. Those three words up there, it is I, the way Jesus refers, the way Jesus refers to himself. Um, in English, that's three words. In Greek, that's two words. And the words are ego eimi, and unless you know Greek, you don't know what that means. Um, ego eimi, translated into English, is literally I am. Uh, so he says there, take heart, I am, which makes no sense in English. That's why they translate it like they do in English. Um, but he's referring to the name that God gave himself to his people um, thousands of years earlier. You might remember the story. If you're reading the Bible with us this year, you would have read this about a week and a half ago. Um, there's that famous story where God speaks to Moses out of the burning bush. And if you've never read it, I'm sure you've heard of the burning bush. Um, God 
speaks to Moses out of the burning bush. Um, and God says to Moses, Moses, my people are uh, enslaved, they're suffering, they need to be saved, they need redemption, you're going to be the guy to go and do it. Moses has some problems with it, but Moses said, okay, if I go and like, liberate these people, who should I tell them is sending me? And God says to Moses, tell them I am who I am is sending you. He said, tell my people, I am will redeem them. I am will save them. I am will rescue them out of the hands of uh, those who are threatening their lives. When Jesus says this, Jesus is kind of um, putting that holy name for God on himself. He's communicating to them that God has come in me, in person. God has come to save you. God has come to rescue you guys from the chaos, from the storm, from the death that threatens you. Um, it's no wonder that in the beginning of Matthew's book, one of the names that Jesus has in it is Emmanuel. We sing that at Christmas time. Emmanuel means God is with us. Of course they don't have to fear. Of course they don't have to uh, worry. Of course they could take heart and have courage because God himself has come to be with them, to save them from the stormy sea. And I want you for a second to, um, to imagine your storm. Imagine yourself out there on the boat. Imagine yourself in the things that threaten you, the things that scare you, the things that you wish weren't true. Imagine yourself out there and hear this promise again from Jesus' lips to your ears. Take heart. I am with you. Have courage. I am God has come to be with you because he loves you, because he wants to save you, because he wants to redeem you from those things. So you have no need for fear. As crazy as it sounds, and as unbelievable and unrealistic um, and unachievable as it sounds, listen, the coming of Jesus into our lives ought to mean the end of our fears. The coming of Jesus into our life ought to mean the end of fear. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine the storms of your life are battering your boat, you're out there, they are real and they are horrible, but you're not afraid because you're trusting, because you're trusting in Jesus. Can you imagine having faith like that? It's possible. It's what God calls each of us to have that sort of faith. Have you ever met someone who has that sort of faith? It's not, notice, the storm is still raging here. Jesus hasn't come. This, it's not that Jesus promises to come in and make all of our problems go away, to make all of our seas calm and peaceful. That's not it at all but it's to trust Jesus even in spite of those things. Have you ever met someone who has a faith like that? I have. I mean, this past week, I talked to someone who had something horrible, horrible drop on her lap. And it is horrible, and it is sad, and it's tragic, and it's, it scares me, but it doesn't scare her because she trusts, she trusts in Jesus. Maybe, maybe you have a faith like that. Maybe you know someone who has a faith like that. I bet, I bet you want a faith like that. I want a faith like that. And so how, how do we do that? How do we, 
How do we have a faith like that? So that we could face the things that are really hard, that we're unsure of, that are um, scary to us, but face them without fear. Face them trusting Jesus instead. The story, the story continues. Peter answered him. Peter is Jesus' like, number one head follower, basically. If there's anyone who's going to answer Jesus, it's Peter. Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. And Jesus said, come. So Peter got out of the boat, started walking on the water, and he came toward Jesus. Listen, when Jesus comes into our lives, it's not enough for him just to come out to us on the boat. He calls us to respond to him. He calls us to answer him like Peter answers him. He calls for you to respond. Um, It's what we call faith, how we respond to Jesus. Matthew continues, but when he noticed the strong wind, he became frightened and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Peter Peter is focused on Jesus. He's focused on Jesus. He's looking at Jesus. Out of the periphery, he notices that the waves are still coming. He's being sprayed with water. You know when you're told to not look at something and not look at something, what do you do? You look at something, right? Don't look down. You look down. Um, That's Peter here. He is focused on Jesus, focused on Jesus. But when his focus shifts from keeping his eyes fixed on Jesus to looking at um, the wind. We, you don't look at wind, but you look at the effects of wind, um, the waves and the, and, the, and the spray. When his eyes shift focus, that's when he begins to sink. This is all about his eyes. He has taken his eyes off of Jesus and he puts them onto his circumstances that haven't changed yet. The stormy sea that scares and threatens him. Notice, he doesn't begin to sink and then becomes frightened. It's his fear that causes him to sink, and he becomes afraid because his eyes have left Jesus. They're more on the waves than they are on Jesus. Peter's mistake is taking his eyes off of him. Listen, when we lose sight of Jesus, just like Peter, all of us cannot help but become frightened and start to sink. And when we sink, we don't survive, which is why we need a Savior. Peter cries out to Jesus here, a prayer that ought to be on our lips basically every day. Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and caught him, saying to him, you of little faith, why did you doubt? Peter, it is I. I am God with you. Why did you doubt? It's me. Why did you have fear? It's because he took his eyes off Jesus. And for a moment... I want to stop and give you a second to think, to think again about the stormy sea in your life. The thing that's wearing you out, the thing that's causing you to lose heart, that's causing you to doubt and to sink. That circumstance like the storm that you wish were changing, it's not changing yet. What would it mean for you to fix your eyes on Jesus in the middle of it? Let me give you a few ideas of what that might mean. For one thing, it might mean giving less mental space to your storm than you currently give. Do you know what I mean there? I mean, not allowing the what-ifs 
and the worst case scenarios to be the thing that you fixate on. Because we have a tendency to fixate on these things sometimes, right? Um, I think we do this sort of to comfort ourselves, to self-protect ourselves, because if we think, if we can project the worst case scenario out and prepare for it, um, we're gonna be good to go, even though that worst case scenario probably won't actually happen. And we do this because even though the worst case scenario isn't real, um, the wind and the waves, they are real. But when we do this, we allow things that aren't even real to overwhelm us and overcome us. Listen, don't give the thing that is only penultimately powerful all the power. Give the ultimately powerful the power. Give it, give it to Jesus. And that's the next thing that we can do to fix our eyes on Jesus again, is look to Jesus for help to sustain you, to hold you up. Ultimately, look to Jesus to reach down and pick you up and catch you and save you from sinking when you need it. Because when we're out there on the waves, we have a tendency to look at all sorts of things to hold us up, to save us. Some of them are good and some of them are not so good, right? We look at all sorts of distractions, even if they're good distractions, like exercising or, or losing ourselves in a book or losing ourselves in sports. Sometimes we look um, to all sorts of relationships to save us that are never meant to save us. Sometimes we look, ironically, to things that actually will destroy us to save us. Things like drugs and alcohol, or um, using our bodies sexually in ways that we were never intended to, or filling ourselves up by eating things, or by buying things, sometimes by running away from things. Listen, sometimes we even do this with things that are really, really, really good, like friendship. We look at friendship to save us, or we think our spouse will save us, or we think like counseling. Counseling is great more counseling for more people. But sometimes we think counseling will save us. Sometimes we're even guilty of thinking church will save us. If I'm involved in church, that will save us. Those are all good and great things. But the moment that those things replace Jesus as the person, as the thing who will save us, they go from good um, to not so good. And so fixing your eyes on Jesus like this means simply getting up every morning or before you go to bed every night, or when you're taking your lunch break, saying to Jesus, Jesus, today I need your help. I need you to save me. I need you to lead me. I need you to guide me. I need you to show me what I need. These storms are out here, and I'm afraid of them. God, help me to remember that I shouldn't be afraid because you're with me. Help me to trust in you and to believe in you. I'm looking to Jesus every day in prayer like that, talking to Jesus, saying, Jesus, I need you. That's something you could do. Another thing you could do is tell the people around you that you need help remembering to fix your eyes on Jesus. You need, you need that reminder every day. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Fix your eyes on Jesus. It's um, the sort of faith that Peter shows here. It's, it's a momentary burst to get him out of the boat onto that water. And that's good as far as it goes, but then he starts to sink. What we need in faith is not a momentary burst to get us out of the boat. What we need is that sort of everyday, consistent trusting in Jesus to accomplish what he says he's going to and to be who he says he's going to, something that every day we could actually walk on the water and not sink. And that is not um, flashy, like getting out of the boat, but it's actually what we need. It's what Jesus calls us to. The last thing I'll say about the way we can fix our eyes on Jesus in the midst of the storm, and this might be kind of counterintuitive to what I just said, but it's to not pretend 
that the wind and the waves aren't real. Right? The ghost, the ghost isn't real. That was Jesus. But the storm is real, and the storm is threatening. Don't obsess over it. Don't fixate on it. Don't project it out to its worst, but don't pretend um, that it's nothing because it's something. Right? Your loss really is a loss, and that's, that's okay, but it's a loss. Her cancer really is that bad. His marriage really is on the brink and needs help. The pain really is that painful. Jesus doesn't promise to come and immediately or even at all calm the storm. But what he does is he saves us from drowning in it. What Jesus wants from us in these storms is not to pretend they don't exist or that we could say magic words and somehow make, make them all go away. What he calls for is in the midst of them, acknowledging how truly devastating they are, but for us to trust in him through it anyway. Because when we're actively trusting in Jesus in the midst of the storm, that is where faith becomes really real. That's where faith becomes alive. That's where faith is lived and where we get to know him in a way that's altogether different than the ways we could have gotten to know him in the past. But it takes faith to have that faith. And this is what these disciples experience right here as we wrap up this story. Matthew writes, when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. And those in the boat worshipped him, saying, truly you are the Son of God. They had never worshipped Jesus before. They didn't think he was the Son of God. They might not have even know what that meant. But having gone through those nine hours in the boat, seeing Jesus walking them, seeing Peter take that step, and Jesus reach down and catch him and save him from drowning, the disciples finally see Jesus for who he is and acknowledge in worship who he is. He's the Son of God. He's God with them to save them. When we look to Jesus through the storms in life, we also will find and experience and know him in a way altogether different and deep and saving as he truly is, the Son of God, God with us, Emmanuel, who is worthy of our trust, who is sovereign over the wind and the waves, he is in charge of it, who is able and willing and mighty now to save us, who is present with us to sustain us and hold us so that, so that the fear that we have might truly come to an end in us. My hope for you, my invitation as we, as we kick off this series, is that you can truly learn to come to trust in Jesus again like this, or maybe even for the first time, to truly come and fix your eyes on Jesus, to come to know him in a way not that avoids your pain or avoids your suffering or that makes your problems go away, but in a way that you could trust him through those things. And you can come to know him and experience him um, and worship him in a way that maybe you never have before. Now, I'm going to invite the band up to uh, get ready to play and lead us in a song that if you've been coming here for a long time, this song is second nature to you. Um, it, is, it is directly pulled out of these kinds of stories in the New Testament. Um, when we sing this song, I invite, you, I invite you to sing it out loud and, and, and make it your prayer to God. Or I invite you just to um, sit and listen to it as it's a reminder of all of the promises that God has made to you, of all the ways that God is present to you. Um, or even 
and maybe for the first time, sit there and close your eyes and like pray these words to God yourself and receive Jesus into your, into your life, into your heart in a way that actually saves you from that chaos that you're um, floating on top of. So as the band begins to uh, play this song, we are going to uh, close in prayer and then we'll sing it together. So let's pray. God, we thank you for uh, the way that you have shown up in our lives, the way that you come to us in the midst of our storm, the way that you uh, have been there to save us. God, we thank you that though the chaos and the darkness and the wind that's blowing against us might be terrifying to us, it might be too big for us, um, it's not too big for you. We thank you, Lord, that you are sovereign over it. We pray that you would uh, show yourself to us and make yourself known to us in a way, um, in a way that we can come to trust you differently, the way, in a way that we can come to know you differently. We pray, God, uh, that you would grow the faith of this community person by person, day by day, week by week. Lord, we pray that for those of us who feel like we're not going to finish the race, for those of us who feel like we're in the boat and we're going to drown out there, we pray that you would give us the humility to pray the prayer that Peter uh, shouted to you. Lord, save, save me. God, we ask you now that you would be present for the rest of our uh, singing and our time together this morning. In Jesus' name we pray and we sing to you. Amen.